Well, good evening tonight. Amen. God is so good. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you just hop over to, um, what's it called? Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> we'll just start in right away. If I wanna, I'm going to give this a, a title tonight, if, you, if we can do that. Besides Isaiah 40, and that's a new covenant. Um, <clears throat> so when you're there, say amen. We got some amens, good. Um, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Hallelujah, amen. You can be seated. So... <clears throat> Tonight, we're going to talk about chapter 40, and how many of you read chapter 40? Got one, two, three. You let, you, oh, you read it last week? That was my fault. I told you it was chapter 40. Um, <clears throat> what did you guys notice that was different? Was anything different, or was it the same old Isaiah? A lot less, you're going to die, and a little bit more, there's hope, right? And... and that's a really important change that happens. Um, quiz, how many books are in Isaiah? 66, that's right. 60, I said books, I'm sorry. 66 chapters. There's one book in Isaiah, to go back and answer the first question. How many chapters are there? 66. Um, I confused that with my next question. How many books are in the Bible? Oh my goodness, is this a coincidence? Is this a coincidence? Oh my goodness, it is the same. How many books are in the New Testament? No. Did I say New Testament? Oh my goodness, you are correct, there are 27. Now, real quick, what is 66 minus 27? You nailed it, yeah. I know I'm the math teacher. That means I ask the math questions, and then you guys do the math. That's the little secret to being a math teacher. You don't have to know how to do it. You just have to get other people to do it for you. <laughs> now, if you were in Sunday school and they taught you this trick, um, let's see. Uh, how many letters are in the word old? How many letters are in the word old? And how many letters are in the word testament? Nine. 39 is how many books are in the Old Testament. And New Testament, what's three times nine? So there's 27 in the New Testament. <laughs> what chapter are we on tonight? I would say that we finished 39 chapters, wouldn't you? Now, I have a theory. I can't prove it quite yet, but I'm on the right track, I think. There are 66 books in Isaiah. There are 66 I said it wrong again. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah and 66 books in the Bible. Isaiah is like a little mini Bible in the Bible. Um, because what we notice is many scholars try to say Isaiah 40 and on is completely different from the rest of it. So they come to one of two conclusions. One, Isaiah was being, uh, if they go with the inspired word of God and they say that, Isaiah must have been speaking prophetically from the future point of view. Um, and the other point of view is people say that Isaiah had a bunch of disciples that he had. He was a prophet. He made some disciples. They kind of held him up as a, a great teacher, and they kept the teachings of Isaiah on and on and on until about several hundred years later to where it makes sense that this part of the book is written, and then they begin to kind of write things that kind of match up and prove, yep, Isaiah was right. He was a prophet of God. Now, I kind of come down on the fact that Isaiah probably wrote it because God told him to. God can do supernatural things, can he? Um, regardless, we have this big tonal shift in the book of Isaiah. What's the big theme that we've seen in the last 39 chapters? Warning, warning. warning. Yeah, there's, hey, 
watch out, Babylon, you're next. There's, hey, watch out, uh, Ethiopia, you're next. There's, hey, watch out, Israel, you're next. Watch out, Judah. It just on and on and on, isn't it? <clears throat> a lot of warning, a lot of if you don't change, you're going to get messed up, right? <clears throat> also, there are messages of hope sprinkled throughout the, whole, the first 39 chapters, aren't they? Every chapter had a bit of hope in it. It was, you know, when they were taught, when, when Isaiah was speaking to um, Ethiopia and Egypt, he said, uh, you're going to get messed up. Babylon's going to come destroy you. You're going to have your power tear, torn away. You're going to look like slaves again. But was always in there, God. But God, if you stay on his side and you repent and you get close to him, he's going to take care of you. He's going to be on your side. He's going to help you, and he's going to restore you. And every single warning had that hope with it, didn't it? And so I'm, I'm kind of contending here today that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah mirror the Old Testament perfectly. What, what do we see happening in the Old Testament? What's the important part of the Old Testament? Creation, so how things began, absolutely. The law. I mean, the first thing I think of when I think of the Old Testament is I think of the law. The first five books, the Pentateuch, right? Um, I think of the law, right? And, and how many Christians nowadays kind of dismiss the Old Testament? It's called old for a reason. I'm new. Why do I need old? That's a thinking a lot of nowadays. But we know that all of God's word is worthful, isn't it? It's applicable. It's useful. Um, I, Pauline and I, my wife and I, we always talk about the books that didn't make it into the Bible. You know, when, you, when you're reading through the Chronicles and you get to the end and, and you're talking about the kings and it says, and you're in Chronicles and it says, and the rest of it, this guy's deeds are written in the book of the kings. And you go back to the book of the kings and you get the, you get the same guy, and he says, and the rest of his deeds are in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. And you're like, did I just get sent through a loop, or is there a missing book somewhere that I, it's not in the Bible, but it's written down somewhere. Anybody feel like that sometimes? There's books that didn't make it into the Bible, and why is that? It's because it wasn't God's authoritative word. It might have been history, but it, you know what? It might have been for a people for one time. But why does God have this book? He has it for all time, all peoples, for all creeds, all nationalities, no matter what your income is, no matter what your skin shade happens to be, no matter what, what, no matter what's going right or wrong in your life, this Bible has some words for you, doesn't it? And we've seen that in each chapter here in the book of Isaiah. But a really big part of the Old Testament is it lays out God's law, doesn't it? And what's the point of the law? To obey, yeah, we need to obey it, don't we? But the big point of the law, has anybody heard that, you know, if there wasn't for so many laws, there'd be a lot fewer lawbreakers, right? If there weren't so many laws on the road, I wouldn't get as many tickets. Praise the Lord, right? What's the point of the law? Say that again? To set a standard. Um, we, we've always, I've had this discussion with my, with my dad and my wife all the time. It's for the lawless, of course, but guess who never follows the law? The lawless. <laughs> so it always seems to affect only the people that follow the law, right? But the law is, and, and this is in the book of Romans, it points out, the law is meant to point out, you messed up. Here's your ticket. You messed up. You went five miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm just here to tell you, you done messed up. The law is there to say, hey, you, you kind of killed somebody. You're not supposed to do that. That's the, what the law is for. You lied. You're, you're in trouble. The law points out all of our failures. It is a standard that God set for us, isn't it? We need to follow that law. What happens if we don't follow that law? We fall short. We miss the mark. What's another word for missing the mark? We sin. 
God's law was laid out. The first law, of course, was don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just one. It's hard to miss that mark, isn't it? But Adam and Eve managed to miss that mark, didn't they? Instead of listening to the law, obeying the law, upholding the law, having faith in that law, and trusting God and his rules, they decided, you know what, I can do things my own way. And that's what that meant when they took that tree, they took that fruit from that tree, they said, you know what, I can do it my way, I think. And that was the lie that Satan gave him, wasn't it? You know, you could, uh, you could be God's. Of course, that law was broken, so what's the cost and the penalty of that? Death. The great enemy, right? There's a penalty for each and every single law, isn't there? Uh, what's the penalty for going, uh, what's the penalty for not having a license plate bulb properly illuminating your license plate? I, I'm glad it's not death, that's for sure. But in Monroe County, it's $150.10. I'll just tell you that, okay? But there's penalties for each law, isn't there? And the Bible, later on, lays out those penalties. But the first and foremost is if you sin, guess what? Come on, fill in the blanks. Die, Victor wins. He got that point, okay? You're going to die. That's, that's the penalty. So that was obviously... One rule was obviously not enough, so God says, here's a few more, nine more, okay? Ten more. Ten commandments, right? Follow the Ten Commandments, and guess what? Actually, you know how bad it was? While Moses was getting the law, they were breaking it at the same time. Almost like we're having a ceremony. We're going to have a new covenant with God. We're get, we got out of Egypt. We're our own people now. We're, let's, let's consecrate ourselves to God. Moses goes up to have this consecration. He gets the law. And what are they doing during the consecration service? So, sorry, God. Um, we're doing our own thing over here. Let us know when you're done. I decided, you know what? We're going to do things our own way. And so, well, obviously, Ten Commandments was um, not enough either. So, if you, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, Jewish uh, tradition says that there's now like 600 some. Okay? You got the whole entire Pentateuch now. Now you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. You got all, thank you, Phoebe. You got all five books. That's the law. Now you got to follow every single one of them. Oh, boy, that's tough. Have you read Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? It's God's word, so it's wonderful. It also makes me fall asleep sometimes, okay? I will be honest, because who would trust a lying preacher, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And God's here, so I better tell the truth, right? But... Man, there are so many, and I find my modern mind, just because I live in nowadays, thinking, that is a silly law. But you know, do you trust God? I hope so. But did Israel trust God? No. In fact, the Bible, the Old Testament, gives us how many examples of man falling short, not living up to the law. Anybody know the exact number? I don't. How many, how many words are in the New Old Testament? That's about how many examples we have, isn't there? It feels every single time you mention somebody's name, they got a great example of them not listening to the law, right? Adam, he messed up. What did he do? He ate the fruit. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, historical examples of people who failed to live up to the law. I mean, we look at these people, and they're amazing men of God, aren't they? But Abraham messed up, didn't he? Isaac, we don't see much about him, but he messed up. Jacob messed up. Moses, he was called by God to lead the people back into Israel, but he's got his faults and failures, doesn't he? David, the whole entire nation of Israel, they keep going through the same cycle over and over and over again. Does this sound like the book of Isaiah? This sounds exactly like the book of Isaiah that we've read so far. And so what's 
the punishment. We've got a God who's just, don't we? He made a law. He's the judge. He can't lie, can he? He binds himself to his word, which is the most restricting thing God could do to himself, isn't it? I am God. I do not change, right? So because of Adam's sin, he was banished from the garden. Because of what Moses did, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Because of the, and go ahead and just read the whole book of the Judges. There's a whole history of messing up. And it gets to the point where God's people that he brought out of Egypt go into a civil war because of some, you know, lustful sin that happened. Some not just lustful sin, but just terrible, rotten sin that happened. They're fighting each other. They're destroying each other. It's just over and over again. And what do we see in the book of Isaiah? The same thing. Egypt's destroying each other. Uh, the, and listen, who are God's people? Everybody. He picked the Jews, Israel, as a select group that would be an example to the rest of his people. Yes, they were called, they were God's chosen people. Um, but we're all God's people. And that's not to demean uh, the, meaning, the, the power of being a child of God, is it? Because his whole plan from the very beginning, remember, he doesn't change, does he? So he has a plan the whole time. <clears throat> but also, Isaiah mirrors the Old Testament because there's always prophecies of Jesus, isn't there? From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right after Adam messed up, there's a prophecy that, hey, the same seed from the seed from the woman is going to destroy the serpent's head. He's going to get bit, but he's going to destroy that serpent's head. There's prophecies. So Isaiah, it is a, it's a perfect mini Bible. It's a perfect mini Bible. If we listen to God's word, we're going to do good, aren't we? But you know what? If we do things on our own, What's going to happen? Well put, Victor. We're going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> so here we come to chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The tone is completely different, isn't it? It's a tone of hope. It sets it right off, right at the beginning. Anybody remember doing their, um, their, their papers for English class? And the teacher always said the most important part at the beginning is you set the tone and you establish what you're going to tell people what they're going to do. It's the main idea, right? Well, here's the main idea in chapter 40, Comfort. Comfort. Why in the world should a people who turn their back on God so many times be comforted by God? Why is it that, that, that a people that, as they were promising, yes, we're going to live a new life with you, at the same time decided to go worship some other God? Why would God, why would God even bother? Because he's a merciful God. Not only is he a just God, he is holy. But he's also a God of love. He's got all of these and captured. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around all of those things. How in the world can we possibly be a just person, but also uh, a loving, merciful one? It's really hard. You ever, you know, you've had that child who totally messed up, who totally didn't listen, and you have this... You have the same problem in your head. Man, I love that kid. But man, does he deserve it right now. Right? And you're, oh boy, you're torn, right? Do I rip him a new one or, or do I let him off the hook? Or maybe there's another way I can do it where I kind of do both. God is wrestling with that same issue. And he's infinitely smart because, well... He made all of us and everything, and he had room to spare. So 
He knows exactly what he needs to do. He's got a plan from the start, right? Revelation from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain from the foundations of the world. He had a plan to make things right from the foundations, from the very beginning. But look at the tone here. God's going to comfort his people. Warfare is going to end. Iniquity is going to be pardoned. And this last little phrase in verse 2, for um, she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that's a weird phrasing, isn't it? Anybody read that and think, you mean he's going to do all these nice things and he's going to make them pay double for their sin? That's how I read it at first and was confused. But um, the better interpretation is that God's going to fold their sins in half, basically. That, uh, That doubling is those sins being folded on top of each other, being mirrored. Now, anybody balance books? Used to? When I say balance books, I don't mean you put the dictionary over here on the balance, and then you go find out how many of your fiction books match up to it. And that's not balancing the books. Sister, mom, what is, what is balancing the books? All your debits match your credits, right? Could you say that it's a mirror? Absolutely. A folding in half, making sure that your income matches your outcome, or at least so everything is accounted for. In accounting, they call that double accounting or double counting. I could be wrong. Um, If you're an accounting major, remind me later because I'd like to know. But you call that reconciling, don't you? Reconciliation. That sound like a a word that we know of nowadays? A word that we the scripture talks to us about? The reconciliation, right? And that's why this chapter sets the tone for a new covenant. A new covenant. Which I find very fascinating because Isaiah's in the Old Testament, isn't he? But he's basically the whole Bible. And he's basically saying, hey, there's gonna be a new covenant. It's always been prophesied, but here we see what is that going to look like to his people. At the beginning, he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. In verse 30, he says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That sounds like some hope, doesn't it? That, in fact, verse 1 tells you God's got some hope for you. And verse 31, the conclusion of this new covenant that's getting kicked off is, and this is the result of of the hope that you're going to have. This is what hope in a new covenant is going to do for your soul, for your spirit. It's going to renew you. It's going to renew your strength. You're going to mount up with wings as eagle. You're going to run and not be weary. Oh, praise the Lord. Anybody look at their life nowadays and say, I, wait, I can't wait not to be weary. I can't wait to not be weary at running around, uh, not fainting. Come on, hallelujah, amen? God's ideas, God's plans, woo! And we see the messianic scriptures are even more predominant now than they were in, in the past chapters. In chapters 1 through 39, yeah, you got a scripture and you're like, that's messianic. Isaiah 9, 6, right? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. We see those peppered throughout Um, 1 through 39. But now, in uh, chapter 40, it's a bit more overt. It's a bit more direct. This is going to be the Messiah. And we need to connect those two things right there, saying that there's a new covenant, and it's revolving around the Messiah. The whole point Isaiah's bringing out here in this whole book, I think, it hinges right here on one man, the Messiah. Who? Amen. What's the whole Bible hinge on? Jesus. 
they're one and the same. Um, let, let's look at it. Um, verse chapter 40. Uh, verse 3, 4, 5. The voice of him crying in the wilderness. Re- referring to John, I believe. And what's he saying? Prepare the way of the Lord. He's about to lay his way out. Amen. He's going to make straight things that were crooked. He's going to lift up the valleys. He's going to lower the hills. He's going to straighten out those crooked paths. Think about your life and the hills and valleys that you've got, the crooked path you take to success, right? God's going to straighten all that out, make things right. Woo! You know, that's what Jesus does, doesn't he? He takes a a, a broken man and turns him into a whole being again. He takes a, a, a frazzled woman who doesn't know what to do with her life and puts purpose in her, amen? Gets rid of the, the drugs, gets rid of the alcohol, gets rid of the pride, gets rid of all of that you know, junk that you bring from your childhood. All that foolishness that was bound up inside of you that your parents didn't beat out with the rod. That's Bible. <laughs> but I'm just, all that foolishness that you held on to, wow, the Lord, he begins to just filter that right out. Every valley. And then verse, verse 5, I think it is, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. I just think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> I look in a mirror now dimly, but then face to face. Face to face, I'm going to see my Lord. Think Moses. Think about Moses. He got to see the backside of the Lord. Not all of his glory. Not his full glory. That'd be too much, wouldn't it? Can't you wait for that glorified body where you get to see him face to face? For who he is, we've already got a better taste of what that is now because he's filled it with with the Holy Ghost. Come on, the life that we now have because of the Holy Ghost. So much better, isn't it? And he continues to say things like he's going to feed his flock like a shepherd. That's the love of our Savior, isn't it? So two covenants in Scripture, they're always complementary to each other. They're never contradictory. Can I get an amen? They're not contradicting each other. Yeah, God's a God of wrath and judgment, but he's also that God of love. And for our puny little minds that think that wrath and love are opposites and they can't be in the same thing, well, you haven't met my God yet. Our God cannot love sin. In fact, he despises it. He hates it. He's holy. He can't be with it. Amen? Hallelujah. We have a New Testament, which means a new covenant, a new promise, a new agreement. This does not mean that the new one replaces the old one. It doesn't mean, oh, they messed up so bad, they can't follow the old agreement, i got to scrap it and make a new one. Because if that was the case, what's the point of the Old Testament, right? What's the point of that? Other than maybe a history lesson. Rather, the New Testament will always fulfill the Old Testament. It's going to fulfill it. So God's trying to figure out a way to get man to be perfect. Whew, that's a tall order, isn't it? That's a tall order, isn't it? I want to take us to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. I was doing some studying, and Victor and I did a Bible study. And this was one of the Bible studies that we did. And it points out this little bit in Exodus. Apparently, this scripture right here, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, is quoted in scripture later on more than 20 times. Because this describes the character of our God. Look at Exodus, right? God gives his law to Moses, doesn't he? He gives his law to Moses. He also then gives the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And then they go ahead and they begin to build the tabernacle. But in between the building of the tabernacle and the instructions that are given, we have this little chunk of scripture right here. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, 
The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He's describing himself, people. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This guy sounds great, doesn't he? And that by no means clear the guilty. Ooh. How's he going to do that? He's going to forgive people and transgressions, but he's by no means going to clear the guilty. Boy. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and under the fourth generation. You know, it takes a big turn right there all of a sudden at the end, doesn't it? He's merciful. He's good. He's gracious. He's, he's slow to anger, it says in some translations. Abundant in goodness and truth. He keeps mercy. He forgives transgression and iniquity and sin. And then he's a hard-nosed guy who doesn't let nothing get past him. Whoo, that's a... Our minds see that as a contradiction, don't they? Just like Isaiah and who he's preaching to see the contradiction. Just like the people that you go to work with who have been trained for years when they go to school and trained for years when they're in the world to see that the Bible's got some... It's written by man. It's not perfect because men aren't perfect. And it's got, it's got contradictions, and this is probably one of them. You see, they've been trained the same way that your fleshly mind was before you met that Jesus. But Isaiah is bringing a new covenant. He's saying, hey, there's a new covenant coming. Let me tell you about this hope in chapter 40. You see, a new covenant reveals God's plan to bring comfort to everybody, to pay for the sins of others, to make things right. That's what Isaiah is saying in verse 2. He's going to make things right. How? We see it with the Messiah, don't we? Because as Isaiah brings out this new covenant, he also brings out the Messiah in more detail. And we see it repeated over and over and over again in this chapter. And then as you continue to read this chapter, you know, we get past this, I think it's verse 6 through almost the rest of the chapter, God begins to sound a lot like he was talking to Job, doesn't he? I don't know about you, but I began to read uh, verse, uh, I think, seven and on. Yeah, the grass withers, the flower fades because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. And then God begins to ask questions in verse 12. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and meted out heaven with a span, comprehended the dust of the earth. These big questions, right? This sounds almost identical to Job when I read it. Hey, I'm God. I just want to ask a few questions. Are you as cool as I am? That's what I get out when I read these things. Because he asks the question in such an obvious way that it's like, well, only you, God. Nobody, no human can do that. We've got two covenants, don't we? What Isaiah is trying to bring out here is that the Old Testament was just trying to show you, stop trying to do everything yourself. You can't be perfect by yourself. You can't do it all alone. You can't meet the standards that I've set. I need holiness. I need perfect purity. I can't dwell with sin, but I really want to dwell with you. You can't do it by yourself. But you know what? I can. Do you think you're going to trust me? If you trust me, we can have a relationship. If you trust me, we can make this thing work. If you trust me, I've got a new covenant that's going to take care of, it's going to fulfill everything that was in the law, and it's going to make it even better. Do you trust me? I'm going to say some things that are going to sound weird to you. But don't forget, my ways, they're higher than your ways. My thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. Don't forget, hey, I'm preparing you for a new covenant, people. Listen to the things he asks them. Who's directed the Spirit of the Lord? 
Well, that's a tough question, right? With whom did he take counsel? Verse 15, behold, the nations, I like verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Which I think is so appropriate for right now, isn't it? That United States thing, guys, it's just a speck of dust. Guys, you're part of the kingdom of God, children. If Trump's elected, hey, that, that's just a piece of dust. If Biden's elected, it's just a piece of dust. If Joe Jorgensen's ele- uh, elected, it's just a piece of dust. If Joe Schmo is elected, it's just a piece of dust. If Nancy Pelosi wiggles her way in there, it's just a piece of dust, people. They're governments, okay? They're nations. But you know what? I've got a new covenant. Amen? In a world right now where everything seems to be politicized, right? Where everything seems to be polarized, right? I like 2% milk. Actually, I like whole percent milk, okay? Well, somebody's going to complain, yell, and boycott something because skim's the only way to be. Okay? Sorry, I didn't mean to cause a division just now. <laughs> I'll just, no. It's okay. Some people do, right? Is it, and, it, and here's the most important thing, Sister Virginia, right? It's not really a salvation issue, is it? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. But all nations before him, verse 17, are as nothing and they are counted to him oh oh less than nothing and vanity i want us to just focus right there because government is man's way of doing things can you say old testament man's way of doing things man's way of running things man's way of making the rules but who's the one that made the rules from the beginning? And we couldn't do it, could we? So we tried to make our own. That's government. That's that beginning of man's government, right? Of forcing his rules on other people. And I'm so glad that Isaiah is consistently bringing this out. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's why he says things like, all nations are before him are as nothing. Wait, 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 just hang on. I'm sorry, I misspoke, Isaiah says. They're less than nothing. They're less than nothing. And as easy as it is as to get caught up with, man, I hope this guy wins because it won't be as bad. Well, yeah, as bad. Remember, that's, that's the whole point. That's man's way of messing things up, Right? Right? Whether, whether it's, it's, it's option A or option B, I should say option bad or a, a, option worse, uh, either way, God has a plan in our life, doesn't he? God's got a covenant in our life. He's got a will in our life. He's got a way that's, oh man, hallelujah. He's got a revival plan for you, no matter who makes the rules in man's world. Amen. His spirit still needs to flow through you. His spirit still needs to walk through you. His mouth is still going through your lips. Come on. You are little Jesuses nowadays. I'm not saying you're God. His spirit lives within me. Come on. Hallelujah. And the more we realize that, hey, Isaiah is bringing out this idea of a covenant. The Old Testament of um. The Old Testament of Isaiah reminds Israel, I'm saying the first 39 chapters, they remind Israel, hey, hey, you can't do it on your own, people. I warned you, and you failed. I warned Syria, and they failed. I warned uh, Egypt, and they failed, and, and Lebanon, and so on and so forth, and on and on and on. Guys, you can't do it by yourself. God reminds Israel in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah that God is just 
and he meets out justice. He meets out judgment. Guys, I can't let you off the hook. I can't just ignore it. Because you, you know what happens, you know what happens when, the, when the guy in charge ignores one person's mistake, right? Somebody else is like, well, I can do that then. That's fine. I see it all the time because I teach. And goodness, if I, if I was the Old Testament God and I had to mete out judgment for every single infraction that those kids did, I wouldn't be teaching math, that's for sure. <laughs> right? So I have to, inevitably, I've got to let some things slide, but I've got to, oh, man, I've got to hand out mercy, but I've got to hand out judgment too. Then it's so much harder when you're not God. Amen? And that's the whole point of Isaiah. Hey, guys, guys, you can't do it by yourself. Isaiah reminds them that God is just, and he has to pay, pay for sin. He also reminds them that God still loves them, and he wants to make things right. He wants to make a way for them to get to him. We see it every single time. And now when we get to the transition, chapter 40 transitions to the New Testament, the new covenant that Isaiah brings. They will always have hope in the Messiah. Isn't that what the Bible, New Testament says from Matthew to Revelation? You are always going to have hope in this man named Jesus Christ. You are always going to have hope that things can change with his name. Come on, when you pray for that sick one, right? When you pray for that loved one that's sick in the hospital or is having trouble with a divorce or having trouble with a marriage or their family's struggling or, or the school's being the school, the name of Jesus brings hope. Maybe it doesn't bring the answer that we want. Maybe that person that we prayed for to get healed, won't get healed. But it's not because, it's not because God doesn't heal or God doesn't listen. It's because he's got a plan. And are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust his plan? Come on, amen. In the New Testament and the New Testament of Isaiah and the New Testament of the Bible match and when they say nothing changes from the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord. I change not. I can't change. Because I can't lie. We had a, we had a, in our youth lesson, we were talking about the characteristics of God, and I asked the question, is there anything God cannot do? And of course, what's the first thing you think of? No, no, he can't. There's nothing he can't do. But has anybody heard of the atheist's question? If God has all power, can he make a boulder so big he can't lift it? You ever heard that one? So if he makes a boulder that's so heavy he can't lift it, well, then maybe he's not all-powerful, huh? You see what they're doing there with words? Come on, right? That's what they do with words, but listen. The Lord cannot lie. He cannot do anything that's against his word, against his nature, because that's what he says he can and cannot do. So here we got a God who says, I can't do away with the Old Testament, but I, so I still have to mete out judgment. So we're asked ourselves a question nowadays. There's two covenants, people, an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Jews are still stuck with the Old Testament because they don't want to accept a new covenant. You know what that means? They still want to do things their way. They still want to do things my way. There's a song that I think Frank Sinatra did called, I'll Do It My Way. I don't know how it goes, but uh, it goes somehow. Um, but that's the question we have. We have two choices. Do we want an Old Testament or do we want a new covenant with God? When Adam ate of the fruit, you know what he said? I'll do it my way. When Abraham... When, when, when Abraham, his promised seed from God, didn't quite come in the time frame that he wanted to, you know what he said? I'll do it my way. 
When Moses smacked the rock a couple times because he didn't want to listen to God, he said, I'll do it my way, Lord. When Saul thought that he would keep the king Agag alive, he was saying, I'll do it my way, Lord. When David saw Bathsheba, he said, I'll do it my way, Lord. Josiah, when he went off to battle uh, the king of Egypt, God told him not to, but uh, Josiah said, I'd rather do it my way. Judas, when he realized that he killed the Messiah, Jesus, you know what Judas said? I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. And he went off and he took care of business himself. He hanged himself and he ended any chance he had of coming back to the Lord. But you know, God's way, it works. Are you going to trust the Lord with this new covenant? Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaiah, um, Isaac, sorry. When Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, he said, you know what, I'm going to trust you, Lord. He could have just said, you know what, uh, I'm going to argue with you on this one, God. Uh, those Molech people are killing kids, and you want me to kill a kid? That's not right. You're wrong. What are you doing, God? Could he have argued with God? Come on. Could have, but what did he do instead? I'm going to trust you, Lord. Moses, when he carried that staff into Egypt and said, you know what? I'm going to trust you, Lord. I don't think I can speak on my own, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your hands. David, when he went into battle, well, David, whenever he did anything almost, I'm going to trust you, Lord. Do you want me to go or not? Do you want me to go or not? Ruth, when her husband died, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow this Naomi, my mom-in-law. Rahab, when she hid those spies, she's a woman in a foreign land, but you know, she heard about this God. I am going to trust in you, Lord. Rahab, uh, Mary, when she was told the news that, hey, you're going to have a kid. Oof, duh. I'm going to have to trust you on this one. I'm going to have to trust you on this one. And Peter, Peter, when he betrayed Christ, and he heard that, 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 that crow, or that, that, that uh, rooster crow, oh boy, I realize I just messed up. And he had a choice right there. Am I going to do things my way? Or am I going to trust the Lord? And I've brought this out before, but, you know, you got two people in the Bible, Judas and Peter, and they both betrayed Christ. They both betrayed him. But the two of them made two different decisions. One said, I am no good. I can't, I am not worthy of anything anymore. I am so sorry. I've sinned so bad. I can't accept anything anybody's forgiveness, I deserve death. And he did it his way. But you know, Peter, I've sinned. I've done bad. I have betrayed the Christ. I've said, I, I, I've cursed his name. I've, I've turned completely against my God. I deserve nothing. But you know, what did Peter end up deciding? He said, you know what, I, I've got to trust you, Lord. I have got to trust in you. And if we fast forward right to the end of Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to start with verse 29. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. Why is he putting that in? Because in the next verse he says, but they that wait upon the Lord. The very fact that he says, but they that wait upon the Lord implies that the previous verse about the youths fainting and being weary are those that are not trusting in the Lord. Those that are sticking to the Old Testament of, I'll do it my way. And the law, when, it messes, when, it, when the law says, I'm not good enough, 
I guess that's tough. But hey, we've got a choice between, we've got two choices that we can make now. Am I going to hold to the new covenant? Or am I going to trust the old covenant and do things my way? Because even the youth shall faint and be weary, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this means everything to the, to the Jews that Isaiah is speaking to, that he is writing to, that he's giving a new covenant to, this transition here, because, man, they're weary. They had the best kingdom ever with David, didn't they? And it all began to go downhill, downhill. But these Jews here, they are exiled. They got kicked out of their homeland. They're being forced to choose between worshiping other gods and trying to stay faithful to their own God. And wow, wow, look around the world that we've got right now. Isn't that hard on Mondays and Tuesdays if you don't pray? On Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays if you don't pray? And you try things your own way? And you're surrounded by a, by a Babylon that, worship, that worships anything but God, anything but Jesus? Come on, that's hard. So we've got a choice. Are we going to live by grace or are we going to die by the law? Amen? That's the choice we've got to, that we're not stuck with, but we need to make. Every single day, every single moment when we're thinking about all of this. And that's why Isaiah chapter 40 is a, it's a, it's a preview to a new covenant. And that's what we're going to see from here on out is more about the Messiah because what's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all about? The new covenant, the Messiah. He's here. He's doing amazing things. And you know what he brings? He brings peace and he brings rest to a world that's been broken by sin. Oh, hallelujah, amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to the name above all other names, amen? Can Can we just begin to give God some glory right now? Let's give God some thanks. Some praise right now. Let's give God that 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 glory and just say, Lord, I'm gonna trust in you, Lord God. I'm gonna trust in your hands. I'm gonna trust in what you want to do. Lord, you are the mighty God in Jesus, and I'm gonna lift up your name. I'm gonna choose your covenant, Lord God. I'm gonna choose to follow after you. Lord, there's hope in you. There's hope and deliverance in your name, Lord God. I want to pray it into my life. Lord, when there's sin in me. God, I, I want to not follow the same path over and over again like the Old Testament, like the Israel, uh, Israelites, Lord God. I don't want to repeat my mistakes. God, show me who I can be in you and help me to follow after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. He is so good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Hmm. Do you guys have any questions, comments, things you saw in scriptures? That double. The double? That really made a lot of sense when you started to talk about Judas and Peter. Yeah. That was like all of a sudden I had an aha moment. Right. <laughs> I was going to pull up. What did you just say? The double. You oh, yes, the double. I was, one of the versions explained it like that. I was trying to find out which one it was. I was thinking it was the Amplified. 